This is Michelle Grosick, and I'm joined by Rick Grosick, Hello. my husband, and Dr. Rhoda Burles out of SDSU Extension. Good morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about um, the fourth module in the Food Safety Modernization Act training, and it is the wildlife, domesticated animals, and land use portion of the training. And that's kind of a broad topic, um, a, lot, a lot to cover in there. Uh, Rhoda, I'm going to let you go ahead and dive into it. And I guess we'll just interject with personal experiences and um, questions as we have them as you go along. All right. I think this is one module that that is covers an area where people may not think about it ahead of time. Um, you know, something as simple as having your dog that's that's with you all day long, whatever you're doing, uh, it can be a, a hazard. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, the fact is that animals do carry human pathogens. And we're talking like E. coli, um, listeria, salmonella, some of those that we hear a lot in, in produce recalls. Um, and it's becoming more uh, commonplace for uh, E. coli to be found uh, not so much in, in uh, animal products like beef, uh, but on produce. So, so we need to pay a lot of attention to that. Uh, mostly these are spread through feces. So we're always talking about uh, basically poop <laughs> and uh, where is that going to end up? How can it contact your produce either directly or secondhand? Uh, domesticated animals, which we're kind of used to and probably don't think about as much, are actually more likely to harbor pathogens than wildlife. Hmm, so really? we need to pay attention to that. And young animals are most likely to spread diseases, you know, five months old or, or younger. Uh, and I'm not quite sure why that is, but, but that's what they've, they've found. Hmm, interesting. Um, also with birds, uh, some of the birds that, that are sort of the pest birds that uh, hang around the barn or, or feedlots or so like English sparrows and, and uh, those kinds of birds are more likely to uh, transport uh, these pathogens than sort of like our, our prairie birds like meadowlark for example so uh, hmm. we pay it closer attention to those that that may be hanging around domesticated areas rather than than something that's just flying over. That's interesting. So in our in our example uh, here at our farm, we have um, like barn swallows that are yes. you know in the middle of everything. Um, they have all their little <laughs> nests up in the in the animal sheds and. You know, I don't know that they hang out too much around the produce gardens. I guess maybe in the evenings when they're out getting mosquitoes and bugs and that sort of thing. But you, we and I don't of... know that 
I don't know that they would be as much of an issue because they're not landing down. Gotcha. They don't usually, like, you know, walk across the yeah, manure. <laughs> like a sparrow, like a sparrow right. or something like that does. Right. We kind of see them as, as beneficial too, because you don't, you don't have as many wasps and such in your livestock shelters. It seems like if we, you know, if we have the swallows yeah, in there, so it's kind of like, well, which is the worst, I guess. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, okay. So, so that's interesting because we do have a lot of metal larks and goldfinches and that sort of thing around the starlings. Heart. Starlings. Yes. Yeah. Starlings uh, are actually one that are implicated more okay. often. <laughs> yes. Cause they do come down to the ground in mass quantities, lots and lots <laughs> right. of them. So, okay. Well, with our starlings, they're generally congregating around where we feed the dogs yeah. and they clean oh, up any yeah. extra dog food that the dogs don't take care of. And or if that, we forget and leave the dog food out. Yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> so that's away from the gardens though. So that's mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, and, and the whole point of, of the FISMA uh, rules and training is just to be aware, you know, to think about, uh, what is there, and if there are ways to reduce that risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the the rule doesn't say you can't have animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it says do what you can do to minimize contact of basically feces with the produce. <laughs> so uh, any way that those can can come in on the produce. Um, right. A lot of our or many of our producers have free-range chickens. Well, one thing to do is exclude those from the garden um, and from high tunnels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have producers who who just put up a netting all around the outside of the high tunnel uh, walls so that that the chickens don't come in. You know, it can be a very simple. Uh, simple fix. <laughs> and and usually once you have a few chickens that get into your high tunnel you realize that's not it's not a it's not a positive outcome in any way anyway. So so, so you kind of learn that lesson quick, probably about season one, I think, that oh yeah, they'll get they'll get some of the bugs in there. It's like, and they also take their dust bath in there and they also right. dig up all the lettuce and eat that and you know, so right. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of, it's kind of a, kind of a quick learning curve on that one, I think, <laughs> or steep. Maybe I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, another thing to think about free range chickens is if they're leaving their chicken poop all over the yard, are you walking through it on your way to the high tunnel and then into your lettuce beds? Uh, so think about tracking as well, or your, or your dogs tracking it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, go ahead. Oh, that's all I had. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing to think about with both wildlife and domesticated animals is if you have a farm pond, uh, one that's going to attract wildlife. So think about routes that wildlife is going to take to your farm pond and is it going to be through your produce field in which case you might need to put up a fence to sort of redirect them Uh, and if you're using any open surface water for irrigation Mm -hmm. uh, such as a farm pond or creek uh, you should restrict 
access to all domesticated animals. So don't count on that pond for for watering your cattle if you're actually using it for irrigation as well. Uh, you need to set something else up. So, you know, just just always sort of being aware of possible contamination routes is is kind of the mindset to have. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I've never really thought of that. In in our circumstance here, all of our water that gets applied to the gardens comes from our, our pressurized uh, water line from our water project, Bearview Valley Water. Mm-hmm. And that's so. probably true for the majority of our producers, but there's a few that do get it from from creeks. Right. Yeah, I've never so, I've never thought about that. That'd be a whole new issue to deal with there. And in fact, we'll talk about water in our next podcast. So we'll go into that in depth. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, as I mentioned, uh, FISMA does not require farms to take measures to exclude animals from outdoor growing areas. So it doesn't require that you put a fence around your garden, for example, or or even around the farm pond. But it would be a great idea to do so. Uh, but it does require that if you find contamination in a field, then you need to take measures to not harvest produce that might have come into contact with that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, again, a matter of scouting your fields, looking for any contamination. And once you have it, then you need to have uh, some sort of routine for what am I going to do? Am I going to leave it? Am I going to bury it right there? Am I going to remove it from the field? And if you do that, you should mark or remove any produce that contacted that or might have contacted that uh, that contamination. And so you can do that by uh, putting a flag and just telling your workers don't harvest within whatever uh, you think is a reasonable boundary. You know, if it's just a couple mouse turds, it might be a foot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's a, a deer that came through and was kind of dropping as as they went, it might be 10, 15 feet. Uh, if you had a downpour before you removed it, uh, any outwash from that area could contain contamination. So FISMA doesn't so much prescribe uh, exact uh, routines, but instead leaves it up to you to to decide what's reasonable. Okay, all right. Well, that sounds like common sense. You identify what it you much have, is. you deal with it, and you, yeah. So, so it, overall process sounds good. Right. Uh, it recommends that you assess as needed during the growing season. So. If you're in a place where you have very little wildlife, you might not need to scout as much as if you're, you know, right next to a creek where deer are coming to, through all the time, or if you have a high rabbit population or whatever it might be, um, they leave that up to the producer to to decide how often do I need to uh, assess. And uh, But definitely you need to go through right before harvest 
and scalp carefully right before harvest. And then also during harvest, keeping your eyes open and training your workers to do so also. So with the assessment, that's essentially looking around and and looking for sign primarily of animal droppings. What else might you be looking for? Um, Just animal tracks. If you have lots of animals' tracks uh, going directly into your field, you might want to follow up and find out where they're going. Or or, uh, if they've been chewing on something in your your field, um, if they're chewing, probably things are coming out the other end too. (laughs) A a few summers ago, we had a... um neighbor's cow got through multiple fences or over it must have jumped them I guess she was she was very (laughs) she she was lonely she was the only cow on their place and and we had a few little steers on our place at the time and um, we had no idea that she had come over to our place until I was up in the gardens one morning harvesting and I saw a big just a big cow foot print in a garden and, and didn't know what it was because, you know, just ours, ours weren't, hadn't gotten through a gate and they, I could see them out there and they were all fine. And of course, immediately it's like, you know, one cow footprint, that's going to be devastation to my gardens. You know, what, where, where did it go and what did it knock down or trample or Mm -hmm. eat or whatever? So I started looking around and trying to figure out where I, assuming it was our cow and one of these steers and, and, um, I think I counted all their heads out in the pasture. So it wasn't them. So I keep looking and, and up by a little stock shelter on the garden side of the fence, this, this little cow had just laid down on the ground and she was just laying there, um, just chewing her cud just because she was near the other cows. I think she was happier. And so she had just kind of taken up residence (laughs) in there and she, and I, she was a different color. She had horns, ours didn't at the time. And, and it was just like, oh my gosh, who are you? And where did you come from? Why are you here? She hadn't made, she hadn't made a mess. She hadn't knocked things down. She had just wandered through and found her spot to lay down over outside of the gardens. And so then it was this whole phone call chain of who's missing this cow that (laughs) all the neighbors get a phone call. All the neighbors get a call and they all suggest another neighbor. And finally we narrowed it down and they said, Oh my gosh, we just brought her onto the place and she must've left during the night. And (laughs) so, but, but it was definitely, you know, you're just cruising along picking beans or whatever. And all of a sudden you realize, what is this big impression in the ground here? And it's like, wait, there's another one. But yeah, she amazingly hadn't taken out trellising or anything. She had just wandered through. <laughs> yeah, we're we're pretty lucky there. Um, as far as wildlife coming in or other animals other than our own, you know, we, we know where our animals are supposed to be and we contain them reasonably well. I think we do a pretty good job there. Um, as far as wildlife coming in, we, we have our livestock guardian dogs, so they keep away uh, like deer and antelope Cones and, and stuff, I think. Yeah. yeah, and little rodents and stuff like that. So uh, we have one of our dogs directly, he, he's in a, a good fenced-in area directly east of the gardens, and then mm-hmm. two of our dogs are in a good fenced-in area directly south, kind of southwest of the gardens. Mm-hmm. So for any deer to come in, that, 
that, that would be very unusual with the dogs on both just sides right, of the garden. All yes. the barking they do. Yeah. So really our yeah. main issue is just keeping the dogs from, you know, spending too much time around the gardens. And they pretty much learn right. they're old enough now. If we ever get a young one, then it will be a whole learning curve again. But Right. Yeah. <laughs> and some people have actually trained their dogs not to go poop in the fields. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. With, with our dogs, every day I take them on a perimeter walk and I've gotten so that if I just open the gate where they're they're kept and we're ready to go on our perimeter walk, if I take them away from the garden so they can do their business mm-hmm. out in the pasture, that, right. that works really well. But I have to be pretty quick in, in calling them and moving them along. And, and they've kind of got it figured out. But if I'm dilly-dallying around or messing around with equipment or doing some other chore... After I let the dogs out of their their daytime uh, fenced in paddock, then they might go wandering through the gardens, and you know that's not right. good when when they just woke up and and mm-hmm. they're <laughs> moving around and they got to go. Right. So. That's when Rick gets yelled at because I get the dogs <laughs> out <laughs> of here. Those darn dogs. They need to go for a walk. So he's like, "Oh yeah." yeah. <laughs> Are you looking for more of our content? Go ahead and follow us on social media platforms to get more. Follow us on Facebook at The Farm Stand at Bearview Gardens, Instagram at Farmstand underscore Bearview Gardens, our farm Instagram, Bearview Gardens, and our website, www.bearviewgardens.com. These are the best ways to stay up to date with what we are up to. It always changes, so keep an eye out for more posts and updates. And this was actually in Australia where they had their garden beneath the paddock for their livestock or downhill. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, another thing that you need to think about is what can wash down the hill. And that's actually been implicated in some of these romaine lettuce mm-hmm. issues that, that there was a cattle yard up, uh, above the lettuce fields. <laughs> yeah, we saw that a little bit in Puerto Rico. When we went down there in January, we visited this place that had um, the like earthship architecture. Um, I guess, uh, what's another, like um, straw bale and mm-hmm. mud, you know, kind of st- stuff that they were building. And that's what we went there for. But they also had this uh, livestock enclosure uh, for goats, I believe it was, and chickens or something that was up on top of the hill, and then the manure would would go through the floor mm-hmm. down to the lower level, and then that was all uphill from kind of where they had the <laughs> gardens and that sort of thing. And there's you know daily rains there every single day. Yeah, it rained, yeah. and I sometimes a big rain. I was thinking, well, that's cool that they have the floors so that the you know manure just kind of goes through. They can just right. sweep it down through the cracks or whatever, and all of that kind of stuff. But the whole rest of this would never fly, you know, in in <laughs> right, our yeah. in our space. And and I believe they were just raising food for themselves, so it was definitely mm-hmm. their own personal choice there. And but I, yeah, it's just you you kind of see these neat ideas of building some of these enclosures, and then you think, yeah, that's not. Yeah, not necessarily going to work well. I, I guess out at our place, you could do something like that because we're flatter than they were there. Right. They were, everything was kind of, their vegetables were kind of down in the low spot though. 
But that does bring up some really interesting farm planning um, mm-hmm. information there, where if you yeah. have kind of rolling hills, what do you put on the top of the hill? What do you put on the bottom of the hill? When we were first setting up out here, uh, we are trying to decide where we wanted the gardens. And we had some people give advice of, oh, no, you want to put the gardens at the bottom of the hill in the low spot because that's where the moisture is. And the soil right. was, the topsoil was thicker down there. Yeah. Um, just yep. deeper yep. because of just, yeah. On top of our rolling hills, it, it's a little bit rocky outcrop, not not bad. But we ended up putting them on the top of the hill. And like in the evenings, the cool air settles down. And, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that we get a, a little bit slightly longer growing season, both in the spring yep. and the fall, because we're on the top of the hill. Yep. And, and there's always frost in the bottom. And then when it does rain, everything kind of runs away from the gardens to where the animals are. So right. I, I think that's a good thing, specifically mm-hmm. with FISMA and such. So that's yes. more or less how we're set up. But it would take a lot of planning. And, and this is really good information to have before you start setting up a farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, one option, if you, if you don't don't have the option of of <laughs> moving things around, is would be to build a berm of some sort mm-hmm. to divert. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's suggested that if you do some sort of containment system for runoff from, for example, a barnyard or corrals, that it could handle at least a five inch rain. Mm, okay. Wow. Now I kind of wonder if that's even enough with with our erratic climate these days. But but at least if you start with a five inch, you're you're going to cover most years at least. Yes. Yeah, that'll be interesting. With with climate change, you know, whatever your belief is with climate change, um, the government predictions are that we're going to get much more intense weather uh, patterns, and in our geographic area of central uh, United States, we'll probably get a couple of months of very heavy moisture and then many months through the year of essentially drought. Right. So that I think... Which means people are probably going to start thinking about uh, creating ponds for irrigation or or, uh, other ways of sort of capturing that water for later on. Yeah. So like permaculture, uh, swales and, and right. berms and, and that type of thing. So if there's any listeners out there, uh, that, that's good stuff to research and understand. And it's just another tool in your tool belt to manage your farm. Right. All right. What's next? Oh, let's see. It looks like we're, we're we've kind of covered a lot of it. Oh, um, possible deterrence if you uh, have an issue with wildlife. Uh, People use everything from, I don't know if you've seen those fake coyotes that wave their tails. Ah, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious how how long those would be effective, but I think the deer in my yard at least are pretty savvy. (laughs) We have a plastic owl on a post. We have a fake owl, yeah. The head spins around. But I have to move the owl every now and again because it seems like everybody gets pretty complacent with the the owl that never flies away. (laughs) Right. Um, some people broadcast prey bird calls. Oh, yeah. so oh gotcha. Hawks, yeah. mm-hmm. hawk calls. 
Mm-hmm. And again, the idea is you probably need to move those around so they're coming from different areas. Yes. Otherwise, they figure out, you know, that hawk just mm-hmm. never gets over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving inflatables and and again, uh, you know, think about your your Christmas action figures. <laughs> oh yeah. Move back and forth, they might might help. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, depending where you're at, uh, some producers use cannons. Yeah, I've heard of that. I bet that's everybody's favorite neighbor there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can get away with it in like Washington State in their orchard country because everybody sure is in the same boat. But, yeah, uh, but yes. it's definitely something you wouldn't want to have on the edge of town. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, have our livestock guardian dogs train pretty well to electric fence. So now mm-hmm. we could string up just a yellow string at, <laughs> at about knee level around a garden mm-hmm. and they probably would not cross it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. The, the newer one that's come out now for deterrent for birds, I think mostly, I'm not sure if it works for deer, is moving laser lights. Oh really? Oh, I haven't heard of that. How how does that and work? They've, they've they will go up. I don't know how many yards they'll cover, but um, they they uh, get them so that they'll do an erratic pattern and just kind of keep moving, you know, in a circle around the around the orchard. And apparently. Uh, that erratic pattern birds uh, just don't know what to make of it. So they leave. (laughs) Wow. So is that only effective like at night? No, during the day too. During the day. Wow. If you think about, you know, the laser light, you you have your cat chase. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a bigger version of that now. If the workers are out there, I don't know if they have to wear special sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, it's just, well, that is just interesting to me. Because then there's, I, I suppose the intensity, intensity of the light is only so much because you're only focusing on birds that are close to ground, right? So, but like, I don't know, when you talk about, light pollution and such in the air what do, how does right, that yeah. contribute to i guess right. that's that's we're talking daytime again not nighttime but yeah just interesting hmm. technology and I've, I've seen this used for uh vineyards hmm. so i'm not sure what the cost is but mm-hmm. it could be that it's, you've got to have a pretty high return in order hmm. yeah. huh. well i i I might need to try that on my little uh, raspberry or strawberry patch. Your your raised bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go out someday with one of those little laser light pointers and see what happens. (laughs) I think your issue there might be the rabbits more than the, it's a low raised bed. And so um, I think, I I don't know, maybe, I mean, this could also be a keeping the husband busy sort of task too. So (laughs) (laughs) Sit you out there in a chair and or point out the window and see what you can. <laughs> well, if there's a cat around, they'll play with it, and that's pretty yeah. entertaining, right there. That's true. <laughs> oh goodness, huh? 
back in in our history, the Native Americans would take their kids and make them watch over the fields during the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. So, so we've talked about all kinds of wildlife. We've talked about cattle. We've talked about dogs. How about cats? A lot of uh, producers have barn cats, and we have mm-hmm. some. Anything special there? They is everything kind of the same concept? <laughs> Kind of the same concept. Uh, cats, some of them will bury their their uh, feces, and you know, some of them don't. So <laughs> it's mm-hmm. probably good to know which. Uh, there's kind of kind of a argument back and forth about using cats in high tunnels to go after voles or mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, small rodents. Um, probably better to do it after harvest than before, <laughs> um, yeah. which is probably too late. But uh, if you can come up with, you know, other kinds of traps, it's probably more safe to do that. Cats do carry diseases also, you know, the toxoplasmosis that that uh, you're not supposed to. Uh, pregnant women are at particular risk for, and so. Uh, they need to have somebody else change the cat litter during that time period. Yes. Um, and that could get on your produce as well. So um, always something to keep in, in mind there. So with cats, as as he said, some of them bury and, and some of them don't. I suppose your gardening technique of if, if you have exposed bare soil versus having a mat or or mulch of some sort, right. that, that would be a variable that you'd want to know and understand how that plays into the uh, FISMA issues that we're talking about. Right, definitely. And I've I've watched, uh, been on a community garden where, where the raised bed soil was nice and soft, and mm-hmm. sure enough, kittens were getting up there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that young animal applies to cats as well as <laughs> as mm-hmm. domesticated other domesticated animals, but uh, uh, so it's yeah, it's something to think about. You know, do I put a chicken wire over to to keep the cats out, or you know, how am I going to uh, handle that? And, and yeah, cats can be very useful in terms of controlling mice population and and so forth and this uh, year we so. put um we put weed barrier down across the entire high tunnel floor before we mm-hmm. planted um, and before we always just did those strips of mm-hmm. weed barrier plastic or something like that and planted that but then we the aisles in between the sections were were dirt and so of course that's where weeds would get out of control then would be in those open aisles when we would get sidetracked into planting into our outdoor gardens. And of course the high tunnel would be crazy because it's warmer (laughs) in there. And so this year we just, since we put a new cover on the top, then we also put weed barrier down across the entire high tunnel floor. And, um, I do have a couple of cats that are just my mouser cats and they Mm -hmm. do a great job. And 
I've definitely had, you know, like zero trouble with them in the high tunnel this year because as they mm-hmm. go in there, they still do their mousing. They get the voles and the, the mice, the actual – they like to eat crickets and grasshoppers too, which is mm-hmm. awesome. But there's just kind of like the one front corner that we didn't put cloth down and we also didn't plant into that, that I have to keep an eye on that because that's some loose dirt. They can get to it and, you know, they they will occasionally um, go in there and, and use that if it's bad weather outside or something like that. Right. But, so, but that's much more minimal issue to worry about because I don't, you know, we just keep that cleaned up. And then, yeah, like you said, we spread some, a pellet or something there just to kind of keep them or put a cardboard box down over the top of it or something. But but the weed barrier, that was kind of an an intentional bonus was that, oh yeah, the cats just come in in here now and they hunt and then they, Mm -hmm. they can't find anywhere to go to the bathroom. So they head back out again to some other spot. So, um, yeah, there's, there's other things that, you know, the issues that you might have in gardening with weed barrier, but, um, but that worked very nicely for that. And it also keeps the weeds down. So it seems the lesson, yeah. if you have cats around your gardens, is that you need to plan a place for them to go do their <laughs> they business. They kind of do have to have their right. place somewhere that's <laughs> safe. That... Whether it's a regular cat yeah. box or someplace yeah. just mm-hmm. bare dirt that they can go, that's a, a safe place mm-hmm. in context to, to FISMA. Mm-hmm. My sister has a cat that she lets out outdoors in their backyard, and the cat always comes in to go <laughs> do her business. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the city, it's like the city cat that gets access right. to the outdoors, yeah. but, but it doesn't want to use the outhouse. It wants to use the flushing toilet. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we have one of those at our house too. Yeah. It'll be out all all day long, and then it races into the cat box and. So it's like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, they train as well. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of training. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. No, that's another aspect of of the operation is if you have workers, you know, whether it's for the day of harvest, if it's volunteers or whether it's somebody season long, um, all workers must be trained, uh, especially before harvest time. Um, training and and some of the things that you need to train them on is looking for feces and what to do if they find it um, and and have a set standard operating procedure for for that that they understand. Um, also, if if they're going and getting any harvest equipment, whether it's uh, whether it, uh, is a knife or whether it's bins, um, they should be trained to make sure that both those are cleaned and sanitized before use. Yes. Uh, also, uh, during the process of harvest, are they putting the bins on the ground or have you got some method for keeping the bins off direct contact with the ground, which is what is recommended? Uh, so, it might be a piece of, of plastic that they set it on and move that along. It might be a second bin. It might be a cart, whatever that is. But to train them uh, both uh, what to do and and also explaining why they're doing it. So we 
we've got some materials that you can use to train your workers if if you're looking for something specific. Um, and they need to be trained uh, when they come on to the place. And then again, right before harvest. Um, and of course, uh, training them to wash their hands and, and be aware of things like, did I just work over in the barn and now I haven't changed my shoes and I'm going to go in and the high tunnel and, and harvest, um, being aware of those kinds of issues. Yeah, that training is really good. Yeah. So we, we recently bought one of those little uh, carts, kind of like a little wagon, one of those green ones mm-hmm. that, that from Runnings, and and uh, that that seems to work pretty good. And then mm-hmm. we have our plastic uh, uh, bins bins <clears throat> that we use. And we just stack in there, and then, yeah, the cart keeps everything up off the ground. And, yep. So, yeah, yeah. Step by step. It's safer step by and safer. step. And and cleaning and sanitizing will get on at a later date uh, and go into that more in depth. Uh, But but, uh, that's something that that also needs training and and attention. Uh, Okay. But we'll deal with that on another day. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. That's all. I mean, there are, there are things to keep in mind, but that they're all tasks that are very um, doable to change the practice, you know, just right. the, the awareness, I guess, is always the, the main piece. Um, Rick, do you have a question? The, the aim is always to identify possible risks and address them in a reasonable manner. I mean, we're not going to... Uh, get our risk down to zero Mm -hmm. that's part Mm -hmm. of life (laughs) yes yes but uh but we can minimize uh some of the the more egregious (laughs) errors so as we're talking about worker training i'm I'm thinking about agritourism also and Mm -hmm. and most of the time when we do a tour on our farm we, we do quite a few tours it's michelle or i lead the group around and we kind of have a certain path to go and, and we have very minimal contact between the, the tourists and the animals or the vegetables or anything like that. We're very controlled Mm -hmm. that way. But as far as training some of our other staff, sometimes when we get three tour buses all at the same time, we we don't have enough (laughs) tour guides. So we have to utilize our other staff people who don't normally give tours but we have to kind of train them in on how to give tours. Um, mm-hmm. Any thoughts going that direction, more agritourism with with this chapter in the book? Sometimes some signs can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, uh, Yellowstone Park has lots of signs about <laughs> <laughs> buffalo. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, they're not work, they're, they're not being read. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'll assume innocence there and see that say that they just didn't see the signs. <laughs> didn't think they applied to them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, with visitors on on the farm, um, we've put up a couple of signs in the not too distant past. One is to to keep their dogs or whatever pets they have 
off of our farm, basically. Or in the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. So we have signs out where where guests come onto the farm. They can see right there. And Mm -hmm. part of it is because of our livestock guardian dogs. If they see a strange dog out wandering around, they're not going to be happy at all. They're probably going to get out of any fence we put them into and go do what they need to do. But um, (laughs) other pets, we've had people bring... um, I saw one lady holding a cat and when she saw the sign about the dog, she kept the cat (laughs) inside of her car, but, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, strange animals coming in and, and then the tourists, the agritourism. And what about other people coming on the farm? Um, like you pick operations and stuff like that. Well, it is highly uh, recommended to, tell customers to leave their pets at home or as you do, if you can leave them in the, in the car, (laughs) if you've got uh, a space for that, Uh, or if it's not too hot (laughs) when it's under degrees out, it's going to be hard time getting people to leave their pets in the car. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but to put in your advertising, even um, no pets, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on our website we kind of stress that in in a couple different areas. So it's pretty. The, and then the livestock guardian dog excuse is <clears throat> a pretty good one for us, and <laughs> and it's very effective as well. Right. You know that if if we have somebody coming to to camp on the place overnight or something, we just say we're sorry. You like even if it's just a kitty and it's in your camper you know, eventually you're going to probably want it to go out to have a little fresh air. And that is just or not a good idea. Out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's just not a good idea when we have our guardian dogs, they see that they smell that and they're going to, they're going to be curious about it. So that takes care of it, but <clears throat> it'd be a little bit more difficult if, you know, I think if you don't have an excuse like that to, to kind of warn people off. Well, the other issue with with dogs and cats and and bringing them onto places, you're most likely going to be petting them, mm-hmm. and then not washing your yeah. hands yeah. before you're harvesting produce. And so that's that's another thing, uh, especially with you pick operations, uh, to make sure that you have a hand washing station before they enter the field or the eye tunnel or whatever it might be and and making sure that they wash their hands as you, you may have a completely clean operation and then somebody comes in and and mm. uh, <laughs> compromises that yes sure. sure all good stuff to be aware of and plan for yep mm-hmm. yep are there any any other items Rhoda that you think we should cover under the wildlife, domesticated animals, and land use portion. That, I think, is is what I had to cover for today. Okay. Great. All right. Excellent. Well, I think our next session that we'll record um, will be on agricultural water um, production, water specifically. And, right. And um, so that will delve a little bit into you kind of started talking about the the pond water that sort of thing right. or stock dam water so that will kind of go more more detailed into that topic a bit i believe 
And that's one area where FISMA has made some vast changes from their original rule uh, in terms of testing and how to do it and when it's required and so forth. So if anybody's had the original FISMA training, they might want to tune in and, and find out what the changes are. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Rhoda. We appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. And we look forward to the next section of the Food Safety Modernization Act uh, training that we're doing through our podcast series. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.